Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Welcome to our Easter morning sermon podcast. We are so glad you've joined us to celebrate Jesus' victory on the cross and his resurrection. We hope this message will be a blessing to you. To learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Happy Easter to everyone. He is risen. We'll try it again. He is risen. I got you. There you go. Everybody, even in the overflow room, thank you for joining us this morning, for, for squeezing in, and for you regulars, maybe squeezing out of your normal seat. I think you can handle it today, right? Because he's alive, all right? Now, thank you. Visitors, everyone, thank you for joining us. This is one of my favorite days of the whole year. This is exciting. Uh, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is a wonderful thing to be here today. And uh, to sing as a family, a family of God, the church coming together to sing his praises because he is alive. We do not serve a God who is dead. I know these are statements we say, but far often I don't know if we think about it as much as we, as we should. Though no matter where you are coming from today, what is going on in your life, Jesus is alive. He comes into our life and he shares his life with us. And today we can sing that we are free, (laughs) that we are alive, because Jesus, our Savior, is alive. It's the most blessed truth on the face of the planet, and it's something I want to share with you today about. We're going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it's Easter, right? (laughs) And we're going to be diving into the scripture. We're going to turn to Mark 16. I'm going to begin reading Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, get this phrase, we'll be talking about it later, when the sun had risen. They went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do do not be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen, and he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's open our time in prayer. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the truths that have been sung this morning. Our hearts have been lifted. You have shown your light into our very lives. And yet, God, I pray, for there may be many here who do not know of that light, who do not have a relationship with you, who do not know why it is we have a smile on our face or for what in the world we're singing about. So, God, I pray that you would speak to them today. You would encourage every single person here. 
that you would speak into our hearts and into our lives from your word. Your word is truth. Your spirit is moving among us. It is within us. It is breathing new life into these dead bones. God, I pray that you would remind us of the power of your resurrection even today. Even today in 2023 as your light shines into our lives today. The light of that glorious morning. We praise you for it. We praise you for every person here. For we just bless them. Thank you for for everyone who came. And God, thank you for the churches around the globe that are singing your praises in every known language on the face of this planet. On this Easter morning, churches all over the world, every continent, every country, every place today sings the, praise, the praises of their maker and their savior. And we join in that heavenly chorus today here in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Thank you, God, for that. We praise you for these good things today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Mark 16. Mark 16, we see a lot going on. Today, the title of today's message is uh, The Sights of Easter Morning. If you were joining us last Sunday, uh, we, we celebrated Palm Sunday together. At Palm Sunday, we, we, we talked about the sounds of Palm Sunday and the sounds of spring. What it is that we hear what is it that we hear? We heard this blind man was blind Bartimaeus, could not see, and yet he heard the risen Lord coming to him, and he said, have mercy on me. And the Lord opened up his sight, and he saw Jesus for the first time and followed him. We're going to be kind of continuing on that theme because it led us to Good Friday, where we looked at the emotions of Good Friday, the, what it is that we feel. What is it that Christ felt in that moment? We cannot fully fathom it for sure, but we can attempt to, to feel that emotion that was on Good Friday in the cross in Golgotha. And as you remember, we ended with Mark 15. In the end, there was the burial in a cold, dark tomb, and there was darkness upon the land. The sun was setting. There was darkness. Then this morning, we, we come to Easter morning, Easter Sunday, and we're going to be asking this question of what it is that we see. What is it that we see? Our vision today, in many ways, is increased further than it ever has been before. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the James Webb Telescope. I, I mentioned it a few months ago in an illustration uh, but I'm going to be bringing it up again this morning. The James Webb Telescope is this new I don't know, trillion dollar project that NASA put out and we sent a telescope out into space further than it has ever gone before so that it can look further than it has ever done before. The James Webb Telescope is kind of like uh, the Hubble Telescope 3.0 or whatever. It, I guess if, if the Hubble Telescope is like uh, AOL dial-up, you know, <laughs> then, then like uh, the James Webb is like chat GPT or something, right? You know, it's the extreme, uh, it's the most uh, technologically advanced thing that we can do. It blocks the sun rays so that it can look further out into cold, dark space. It's incredible. And recently, over the last year or two, as they've sent it out, uh, there's been images coming in, and this is one of them. One of the first images that we see is this incredible, I guess when I looked it up online, was this incredible supernova. And sometimes we look at these things, we're like, well, is that just created or made? Well, this was an image that was taken. It's the prelude to a supernova, someone said. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds really cool. 
It's the rare sight, they said, of a super bright, massive wolf rayet star right in the center. You can see the one that's bright shining out. It's this massive star. This star in the middle there is 30 times the size of the sun. And it's outputting 10 times the mass of the heat in the, uh, every, uh, since its birth in some ways. And at this supernova, they said it's almost, some of these stars are, are close to exploding and they're witnessing this before it happens. This telescope can pick up cosmic dust out in space that we could not grasp before. We knew it was there, but it could not be seen. And there's this incredible wavelengths of light that the telescope is able to see. And this next picture is one that describes this landscape of sorts. It's this way of capturing this star and this massive galaxy. And all, all of these pictures, really, and all of these things are, are something that is grasping the space, which at before seemed ungraspable. Is that a word? No, you couldn't really grasp it. You couldn't get it. And this telescope can pick this stuff up. It's incredible. It's amazing. And it's this way of, of describing the last frontier, this way of pioneering and seeing into the unseen, seeing something that was there all along, we just didn't know. So what is it that we see when we look out into the night? Do we see this incredible nebula, this incredible landscape of stars and cosmic dust? Well, we actually can't see any of that without this telescope. This cosmic cliff picture is this sense of uh, the peaks on the, some of the highest, it almost looks like mountains. Some of those are seven light years apart. Now, when I look into the sky, I, I don't see this. I see little stars that I don't really know what they are. And, and yet, technically, when I look out into the sky at night, all of this is looking back at me. <laughs> it's there. There's innumerable galaxies and stars and supernovas and all that stuff. It's way out there. I, I just cannot grasp it. I do not see it. I do not have the eyes to see what is truly there. And there's a lot going on that both of our naked eye cannot see. Even in the micro space outside of the mega outward space, there's this micro world. Little germs and little atoms and molecules and things that are going on that are unseen to the eye. But it doesn't mean that they're not there. When you see those pictures of the stars, you see something that is there, and yet when we see a picture of a star or this picture is taken, we see something that was there. See, when you see a star, I'm told, as I looked this up and went down YouTube wormholes, right, you know, and as I'm watching these videos and I'm like, I'm studying for the message, right, and I'm just in these you know, geeky, nerdy little videos, all this stuff. But it says that when you look into a star, when you see a star in the sky, you are seeing the past, they said. I was like, well, that's interesting. Essentially, light has been sent out years ago through the dark space that is finally reaching your little eyeball <laughs> as it goes in and filtered through the rods and cones and into your uh, I shouldn't have done this, the amygdala, the, uh, the, as I call it, the amandola in the back of your head, and then it goes up into your brain, and in your brain makes a vision and an image of it, and it then displays what it is that you see. That's how light works. At least I'm told my mom was a biology teacher, trust me. All right? 
that you're, you're seeing something very old. That light has been traveling to your eye for years. And so what it is that you see might not actually be there anymore. It says that ultimately sound travels at, at kilometers, uh, um, about a kilometer every three seconds. Light travels 300,000 kilometers every second. And when you see a flash of lightning three kilometers away, we're seeing something that happened a hundredth of a millisecond ago. So it's not really that distant in the past to us because it's kind of close. But a light year is the distance light travels in one Earth year. So one light year is about six trillion miles. That's six with 12 zeros. So light from the moon, about 380,000 kilometers away, uh, takes about 1.3 seconds for that light to travel from the moon to us and to our little eyes, right, for us to see. Mars is a little different. It's a little further away, and Mars's pattern as it travels, it is at times only light from Mars can take like three minutes to get to us, but there are other times when Mars is very far away, and it might take 20 minutes for that light to reach me. Then there's Alpha Centauri, which is one of the nearest stars that is visible to the unaided eye, meaning you can look up in the sky and see it. It's at a distance 270 times the distance between the Earth and the Sun. That's four light years. So when we see Alpha Centauri, we actually see something four years ago. So in a sense, Betelgeuse, this star in the constellation of Orion, is about 640 light years away from us. So in a sense, if you think about it, if Betelgeuse were to explode today, you wouldn't know about it exploding for centuries to come. Maybe some of you are like, I already knew all this. I certainly didn't, and I don't think about this every day, but it struck me. And so what I want you to do is to imagine with me a light You could say a star or a sun that has risen, a light that has been traveling to you today for 2,000 years. Some of you know exactly where I'm going with this. You can imagine a light that's traveling 2,000 years. So finally, it reaches you today, and it is finally seen. A light of the dawn, perhaps, a sun that rises over the horizon. A light that shines out into the darkness and it pierces into your very soul today. Shines across millennia. It is observed. It is a light meant to be seen. It is visible. For then this light, though it shines out into the blackness of space and into darkness, this light is not just some nameless void or light. It is something that shines into our hearts, as the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4. It is a light that shines within us. And then it is a light that shines into us personally, but it is also a light that cannot go out. It cannot be extinguished. One of the videos said that ultimately many of the stars, the stars are finite. Stars are not infinite. They will go out. Stars will explode and you will no longer see them. They will burn out. This light that we talk about today is like a star that will never fizzle out. It'll never go out. It's not like a battery or some artificial light that we have to create that you have to replace the bulb, you have to replace the battery, you have to support it, it will go out, it will fade. This is a light that is an eternal light and it gives eternal life. 
It's an eternal light that sheds eternal life to all who bask in its glory. A light that gives life. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are maybe wondering, what is it that he's talking about? Well, we think about it this way. How is it that a light could give life? Well, we think about that last Sunday when we were at Palm Sunday. We talked about springtime. And all of us have been watching our weather apps because we know that next week, somebody told me it's going to be 80 degrees, right? The problem is we all talked about it that it's going to be 80 degrees. Therefore, it will not be 80 degrees. Sorry, I'm not superstitious. I'm a pastor, right? No, so. But the aspect of that is it's been cold for a very long time. You live up here in the north, the frozen chosen, and then all of a sudden the sun begins to rise. The sun stays out longer, and all of a sudden it begins to warm up. And as you, as I said last week, I was sitting on my deck basking like a reptile in the sun, and as you feel the warmth of the rays of the sun, you know exactly what it's like for light to give life. It breathes life into you, does it not? Springtime is here. There is warmth. The snow ever so slowly in places in the woods is melting. It is going away and you see things springing up to life. Flowers coming back. Animals waking up in this resurrection kind of a state. Coming back to life because light has come into the cold, dark, dark winter of the north, right? So we know what that is like to feel. We know what that is like to see. And so what I want to do is go to a scripture that highlights this truth for us. John chapter 1 verse 1 passage. Some of you who grew up in church know very well. But I hope maybe there's someone here today who's never heard this verse before. And this as a light turns on for you today. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the word. Now, Some of you, again, know this very well. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the beginning. And then some of you get worried because the pastor's going to go to Genesis 1 and you're wondering if we're ever going to end. Anytime the pastor hits Genesis, you're like, oh boy. Here we go, Genesis 1, in the beginning, right? The same beginning we have in John in the New Testament and in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in that beginning, it says in verse 3, And God said, let there be light, right? Let there be light. As God created the world, he said, let there be light, and the light was good. In 1 John, a little epistle, it says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. But then we go back to John 1. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, speaking of Jesus. All things that were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4. It says, in him was life. And this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning, God said there is light. Then God has sent the light to give us life. John 1 says God made this sense, this God has made everything, and it is through the word. This word is the logos in the Greek. This 
divine logic, the ordering mind that is behind everything, the divine logos that directs and orders and controls all things, the way the Greeks would have thought about it and the way we today are so influenced by this word logos, the word. The word was there and the word was with God. This embodied word, the God, as you could say, has become flesh. Verse 14 says that it has become flesh and this word has dwelt among us. And we have seen his light, you could say. We have seen his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. This word is the source of life. He is creator. He was there in the beginning. He was there on the cross and he is there now and he is there preparing a place for us to go. It is the source of life. He is the source of life. And then it is through this following of the light that we find true life. For verse four and five tie this together. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light shines out into the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Light versus dark is a classic motif. A classic motif from the beginning of the Bible to the end. It's something that we very well understand and are accustomed to. And even naturally, we have an aversion against. We are naturally from children as a young age. And I would dare say many of us adults are scared of the dark. We know what it's like to be afraid of the dark and to then have the light come bursting through. I've shared this illustration a few times, but again, when you're a preacher, you get to repeat illustrations. Is that okay? (laughs) My son Judson was a was uh, born a few years, well, two years ago, <laughs> and he was a few months old when uh, I was sleeping on the couch downstairs with Judson in his bassinet, not because Jamie and I were having an argument, but because Judd was not letting anyone sleep. So I uh, said, I will sleep downstairs with Judd, and I will uh, make sure he can go back to sleep, and Jamie can get a few hours of sleep. And I was sleeping there, Finally got him asleep, this is around 11.30 at night, and I had finally drifted off into fairyland. But you know, you're kind of in that half-asleep state, you know what I mean? It's like you're kind of there, but kind of not. Everything's dark, it's midnight, and then all of a sudden I hear a massive noise. Boom, 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 and it starts Literally, I'm on the couch and I'm like shaking. You know that feeling where you shake, shake. And I, immediately, I thought someone was breaking into my house. And of course, I, being the man that I was, I was like, yeah, bring it on. Let's go. I'm not afraid at all, right? No, okay, I didn't act like that at all. I just stayed like none moving, you know? And the, I was just like, don't move. Maybe it'll go away. And then I realized it's not going away because the sound kept increasing. And literally, I felt myself shaking and shaking. It's dark. I can't see anything. I can barely make out Judson, who's like two feet from me. He's still sleeping. He wasn't making the noise, so it wasn't him. Then I realized the noise wasn't coming from the front of the house. It was coming from the back of the house. There's a nice little glass sliding door that steps out into a beautiful deck. And that deck then steps out, and the woods is right there. And any one of you who know, live in New Hampshire, anything can come from those woods, right? And so as I step out from the couch, and I still hear noises, I'm hearing scratching And I'm hearing, boom, this shaking. Literally sounds like the deck is shaking and shaking and my house is going to fall down. I then realize as I come over to the glass sliding door that something is right there, but I literally cannot see it. We live in the boonies, in the woods, and there is no light, right? And I cannot see anything. But yet there is something there. Like right there, I can almost touch it, but a nice glass door is in front of me, but right here is a light switch. 
And I reach over to that light switch knowing that what I'm about to find with my eyes is not maybe something I want to see. But I flick the light on and I see, staring back at me, a giant mother black bear looking me in the eyes. We had quite the moment. It was like, it was like I stare, you know how they're like staring in the white of their eyes. We stared in the white of each other's eyes. I think she was just as surprised to see me as I was surprised to see her. In fact, she probably goes to different bear events and tells her friends about meeting this tall, lanky, bearded guy. And yet I scared her half to death. She did not scare me, right? Because I opened up the door, I grabbed the bear, and I chucked it off the deck. Okay, I didn't do any of that. I had the door closed, and I just like went, rawr, and I started like hitting the glass, like trying to like shoo, shoo kind of a thing. Again, super manly things, and I'm scaring it away, and I'm rapping on it, and it, it was scared obviously, right? And so it jumps over the edge of the deck and it kind of slides down the deck railing uh, and, and the post that's holding up the deck because it's a second story deck and it climbs down there and my heart like goes back down like, oh, okay. So I go back to the couch and I try to sleep and then 20 minutes later, maybe probably, I don't know, that's what it felt like. It's probably five minutes later. I hear the noise again. Boom, boom. And so I go back over. I get up the courage, flick on the light and this time it was a baby bear, and the baby bear was climbing along the railing, just kind of like, what's up? I'm not afraid of you. And it climbed along the edge of the railing, and then I made the noise again, scared the baby off again, and never to be seen again, right? The cub, its mother, uh, I scared them away and defended my home, right? Okay, see how my voice went low there. Um, but it was quite the moment. I can still see that the individual hairs and the whites of the eye of that bear yet scared it away, the point of this whole entire elaborate illustration is that the light, it shines into the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. You, you turn that light on and who's going to win? The light turns on and the darkness will flee. Your fears will flee. The darkness will run. Who made the light? God made the light. The word says that God is light. Who is the light of the world? Jesus Christ. The light is said to have come into the world, into our world of darkness and bears and lions and tigers and all these scary things. A land of not only that, but spiritual blindness where I cannot see without the light. The light comes into our world groaning for redemption, longing for salvation, the darkness is all around us, and yet often we don't even realize it. The Word says that men loved darkness rather than light. John three nineteen. for this is the verdict, light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. You and I are groveling around the dark apart from Christ. We are, we are groping around in our sin and yet God did not leave us alone in that. He has loved the world, so he sent his only son to save the world, to literally give sight to the blind and spiritual sight to my spiritual blindness. We are blind without him. Corinthians says the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. It has blinded our minds from seeing the light of the gospel. The truth is we really love our sin. And our sin will love us back like a cancer that grows within us. It grows and it loves and feeds off our flesh until eventually it kills us. It's something that needs to be removed. Something that needs to be put off and put away. But can you imagine this? An entire world of spiritual blindness and darkness. 
There's a show I heard about on Apple TV. It's called C. It's not an endorsement for the show, please. But the idea of the show is this sense that there is an entire world blinded. There was some kind of plague that came into this world and it blinded every single person on the planet. So the entire planet exists with everyone being blind. Kind of an interesting uh, kind of start to an idea. And yet what happens is, is this person is born. And the person that is born in this blind world can see. There's all of a sudden a sighted person. There's sight when everyone was blind. In like manner, there is a similar picture here with everything and everyone living in darkness. No one is righteous, no, not one. And yet there has one that has been come, born on Christmas Day, crucified on Good Friday, risen to new life on Easter Sunday. This one who comes brings the healing power of God to give sight to the blind. Look at John 9, for this is exactly what Jesus does. John 9 is a story about John where um, he shares a, a story about Jesus, similar to the one that we talked about a few weeks ago with blind Bartimaeus, but this one goes even deeper. For in John 9, Jesus heals a man born blind, not one who has become blind, but one who was literally born blind. The Pharisees freak out about it because they say not ever has this happened on the face of our planet that someone has given sight to someone born blind. Jesus does this also on the Sabbath, so they love that, right? (laughs) John 9 verse 1 says, as he passed by, he, Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. John 9, 1. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Like whose fault is it? Jesus answered, it was not this man, it it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day, for night is coming. When no one can work, meaning the judgment of the world, but as long, verse five, get this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And then having said these things, verse six says, he spit on the ground and he made mud with saliva and he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. I love this picture of him, this muddy messiness putting it on the eyes, and I've read multiple commentators as to what that means. To me, it always has and has carried this picture of the burial. I don't know if it's even accurate, but for me, it's the sense of of this mud that has been placed upon the deadness of his eyes, and it is as if that those eyes are buried in the grave. They're dead, unworking, and then he comes to the kind of waters of the Holy Spirit that washes him clean. There is this purifying, atoning, washing that takes place. It is as if salvation comes, life is restored, and he opens his eyes and can see for the first time. In so many ways, there are so many motifs and illustrations there that depict the resurrection of Jesus. I think that's a beautiful picture of it. And yet I love what he says in verse 25. Again, the Pharisees are questioning him. They don't believe him, so they question his parents, and they say, how, are you not, how, how do you see right now? Who did this to you? Uh, and if it was that Jesus guy, he's a sinner. He did it on the Sabbath. This is not right. 
who did this? And they keep questioning. And the guy's like, dude, I told you. You can read the chapter. He says, I told you who it was. It was Jesus. And I love what he says. He's finally kind of exasperated after being questioned multiple times. And verse 25, they're asking him, who did this? And he answered, the blind man who now sees, he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> I, I don't know all the answers to your guy's question. In fact, later on, I think he asks the Pharisees, do you want to know all these answers because you want to be a disciple of Jesus too? And they're like, no, we want to be a disciple of Jesus. He, he's clueless. He doesn't know, but he says, all I do know is once I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, is it not, right? Amazing grace. Once was blind, but now I see. And he follows Jesus, the light of the world who brings eternal life. For John, in the book of John, carries this theme throughout multiple places. John 8 says that, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness anymore, but he will have the light of life. Light and life are constantly connected together in the Bible. Jesus is the light of the world. You could almost say he's like a lighthouse directing people to the safety of the harbor. He's like a light within our lives that dispels the bear from our deck, right? He is the one who purges the sin from our life, purifies us and washes us clean and restores our sight. A light that warms and melts the ice, cold deadness of our heart and brings growth, new life, and a new man through the new spirit of God. A light of resurrection. Jesus is the light we must follow to escape the darkness for only his light can defeat the darkness. And yet, some of this maybe sounds like an incredible picture, an incredible story, and yet throughout the entire Bible, we shouldn't be surprised by this. In one little book of Isaiah, it took me five minutes to Google some of these because you can look up the words light and blindness and, and salvation that comes through a chosen one that is to come. And the Pharisees missed it. The high priests missed it. And yet Isaiah 34 says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The mute will sing for joy. The, lamb, the lame will, will leap like a deer. Isaiah 42 says, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison those who sit in darkness. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them and I will turn their darkness into light. Isaiah 49 says, saying to the prisoners, come out and to those who sit in darkness, appear. Isaiah 60, rise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon the earth. Darkness shall cover. Thick darkness will come. But the Lord will arise upon you. And Isaiah 9, probably the most famous of them all, often most often read around Christmas time, but works so beautifully with today and Easter. For the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, upon them a light has shone. And in that same chapter, for unto us a child is born. Right? For a son is given, the government will be on his shoulder. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he will have no end. You see, we are those people that sit in darkness. But now, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of Resurrection Sunday, we have seen a great light. A great light. For Jesus, yes, was born at night. He came and his 
his birth was signaled by a beautiful sentinel in the sky, a star from the ages. A star signaled the, and watched and the, the shepherds kept their watch by night. Darkness attempted to stop this light and snuff out his life. And then eventually Jesus will be betrayed at night. In fact, it says that Judas left and Judas, when he went out, it was night. Jesus eventually would die in darkness. Mark 15, verse 33 says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the hour. And then finally, in Mark 15, 42, Jesus would be buried in darkness. When the evening had come, verse 42, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came and got the body of Jesus and buried him in the tomb. And then Jesus would be placed into that deep, dark tomb. A stone would be rolled in front of it. Matthew tells us how guards were placed in front of it to try to protect anyone from getting in. Saturday would come. Some call it Silent Saturday. This was yesterday with a time of silence, hope, feeling confused potentially. People who are still seemingly sitting in darkness. The Palm Sunday King has come and yet he's gone and he's now dead and I don't know what's going on. The echoes of Palm Sunday might be heard in your ears on that silent Sunday, at that silent Saturday. The emotions of Good Friday still raw and gripping in our hearts. It's fresh in our minds. How can someone endure so much pain, die so publicly? Where is the hope that we saw riding in on Palm Sunday? For the king of the Jews, the king of the world, is dead. The whole world sits in darkness on Saturday night. you know that's not the end of the story. Mark 16, 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen. Sun rises. It's dead in the tomb. And the beautiful, glorious sun rises and a new day dawns. New life has come. The dawn awakens. Sun has risen because the Son of God has risen. <laughs> the sun comes up, a new day he is here, new life, new day, a new way has begun. Mark 12 sorry, Mark 16 reminds us in this passage as it keeps going on that they, they were saying to one another, who, who will roll away the stone for us? And, and, and came to the entrance of the tomb and, and looking, notice their sight is now available. They now see, looking up, they saw the stone that had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw now an angel there, a young man. And he said to them, don't be afraid. You seek, you're looking to see Jesus of Nazareth dead in the tomb, who was crucified. But why are you looking for the living among the dead, right? As Matthew says. He's not here. He's alive. And he's risen. See the place where they laid him. See the grave clothes. Look with your own eyes. For one day he will come to you, it says. There you will see him. And so we look, we see the women there with their faith going. 
believing and yet struggling to know what is going on, but they know the only thing they can do is love their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and at least prepare the body for burial properly. Then they come and they see an empty tomb, the stone rolled away, they see an angel, they see the grave clothes, they see the cold, dark tomb now flooded with light. The grave, the darkness of it is open and light is flooding in. You understand the stone was, was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that you and I could go in and see that it was empty and verify that the light of the world is alive. The light comes into the grave and we recognize that it is unoccupied. Jesus, our Savior, is alive. The message that he gives, he's, he's not here. He is not dead. He is risen. This is the best news ever. Good news. Death is defeated. As we sang earlier, death is arrested. He is alive. The dawn of a new age has come. The light of the world has begun. The life of humanity now in Christ, the kingdom of God. The darkness has not overcome it. The word says in, in, in Ephesians, awake, awake, O sleeper, in Christ, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So what I want to close with in our final minutes is letting us think through what it is that we just read when we discussed and talked through. And yet, we have to ask ourselves, and maybe for some of you who come here today and you are skeptical with all that has been shared, and you might be asking to yourself, what does this have to do with me? You talk about the light of the world, you talk about this star that has risen, the sun that has risen, shined out, but what does that have to do with me? We know that as we've talked that we were sitting in darkness, and ultimately you're either Walking in the light now or you're still sitting in darkness. The truth is here. The truth of God's light has come. And it has shown for 2,000 years from that Easter morning to you today. The question is, are you going to see the light? The light shines out of the darkness and it shines into you, into this place today. Because the light of the gospel is being shared with you. Receive that. Take it. Allow that light to pierce into your heart and give you life. The question is, will the risen Christ be your vision today? Maybe there's someone, like I said, sitting in darkness. They do not believe in these things. Matthew, 2 Corinthians 4 says, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, meaning this, this veil hangs over our eyes, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We were dead in our sins. The word says that we were dead in our sins, dead in our darkness. We have eyes that are veiled. We cannot see. For the God of this world has blinded our eyes and our minds from seeing the light. Like the Pharisees of that man, they, they were blinded. They could not see that this man can now see. And the ironic aspect of that entire story is that the person who had no physical sight was the one who could now actually spiritually see. But the people who had physical sight were the ones who could not spiritually see. Today I'm begging you to see 
the Holy Spirit of God would come into your life and open up your eyes to see the truth. That this Satan, this God of this world, this master that is blinding your eyes is unable to keep back the light. He is unable to conquer. He has been defeated. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. That we proclaim these things, we preach these things. And verse 6 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come. The light of the world has shone into our lives today. He has, Jesus comes and he takes the darkness. He buries the shaft into his very own heart. He takes the sting of death and he renders it defeated His blood atones then for our sin. His death, his burial, then become our death and burial. He took the punishment so that we could go free. He becomes the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that his resurrection now becomes our resurrection. He rose victorious over sin, hell, and the devil. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His victory becomes our victory. His light becomes our light. He rose with brilliant light. The dawn of a new age has come. The light of the world shines out. But it doesn't just shine out into nothingness. It shines into your heart. It shines into your heart and gives you life. So for the first time, potentially, you are able to look God in the face through the face of Jesus Christ. You can see him in the whites of his eyes. You can look and know your Savior. You can know the God who created the world and made light in the first place because now it shines into your life and through your heart. He changes you. He gives you a new desire and new affections and new loves for him, his word and righteousness. He welcomes you into his kingdom and he wants to be your friend. And you can pray to him and talk to him for he loves you so. He cares for you for he This light, it it illuminates the darkness of our souls and it, as we sang earlier, brought me out from darkness and into glorious light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And as verse 14 says, that we believe these things. If you believe these things, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. (laughs) The, The one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us so that we one day will rise with him and live with him. The darkness of death cannot stop the light from shining through. The darkness of Good Friday cannot hold back the breaking of dawn on Sunday. And I'm asking you to step into the light today. To step into the light. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you today humbled, and yet joyous. With the fear of God in our hearts and yet the love of God in our hearts, we know that you are all powerful and omnipotent. You are the creator of the world. You spoke light into existence. Thank you, God, that you speak light into our lives. I pray today, 
I pray today that there is someone who is speaking these words today. There is someone here who needs to hear these words. There is someone who needs the power of the gospel to rescue them from darkness. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That today they would come to see you with fresh eyes, eyes of faith. We praise you, God, for your amazing grace. We praise you that once I was lost, now I'm found. Once I was blind, now I see. Amen.